Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It is 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Our economic indicators are brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. No numbers today, interestingly enough. A quiet, quiet day. We get some mortgage delinquency uh, reports later on um, and the monthly budget statement this afternoon. But, uh, of course, that's going to be a... Uh, it's the April number, so it is obviously going to reflect all the taxes you paid. So I didn't tell you necessarily a, a whole lot. Uh, but uh, this whole question of uh, Macy's is an in- interesting one, uh, Tom, and it gets to the question I asked Poonam Goyle. I'm going to put it to Kevin Harris. He's uh, Director of Economics, North America Economics for uh, Rubini Global uh, Economics. Uh, we see Macy's cutting their forecast, and I'm looking at some of the numbers that um, that that Putnam gave me uh, in terms on uh, in terms of uh, the uh, the the numbers for department stores and things like that, and I'm wondering if if uh, we've we've got a Macy's problem, a problem for CEO Terry Lundgren, or if if Janet Yellen has an issue with growth slowing down significantly. Are, are consumers backing off now, uh, or is this maybe just one store's issue with the you know? Bricks and clicks versus uh, the bricks and mortar versus uh, online. When um, the GDP number for uh, the first quarter came out, you saw that it was fairly weak, and one of the weak components was consumer spending. Um, and in fact, to make it just a little worse, the pattern of spending through the first quarter was weakness into the end of the quarter, which means the second quarter is going to get off to a slow start as well. So it's not just Macy's. Everybody's having a little trouble right now. And what is is this a, a a one-off? I mean, we saw we've seen problems with the first quarter before, or is the economy significantly slowing? There's reason to think that the economy would slow. We had a bit of a, a financial shock in the summer of last year. We had another one in the first quarter of this year. Those have dissipated, but the impact on the real economy takes time to wash through, and. It's likely that we'll see a somewhat slower pace of growth this year than last year. Uh, not just for that reason, but because we have been growing a little bit above trend, and as the output gap narrows, you're just going to see slightly slower growth. We expect slower employment growth this year. We expect slower GDP growth. But the financial shock didn't help, and it's another reason to expect, uh, at least in the first half of the year, that we're going to have to struggle a little bit. Your shop, Kevin is acclaimed for QE1, QE2, QE3, QE4. I'm not going to pretend to say it as Dr. Rubini does. You have a fascinating review of helicopter money. Is helicopter money nothing more than a QE extension? Well, there's a a special feature to it. Um, In Milton Friedman's version of it, you just sprinkle money on consumers and they spend it. But that's not a practical approach. That was more of him just explaining a view of how monetary policy would work. In reality, what you would do is um, the government would spend the money, and 
the central bank would simply absorb the debt and promise never to roll it back out to the public, essentially make the debt go away. That's the most effective way of approaching what we call helicopter money. Um, if you can't get the government to spend the money, it doesn't work because we really don't have a mechanism for sprinkling money out of helicopters. You have to get the government to spend the money. And if the public realizes they're never going to have to pay it back, then their mm -hmm. motive to save a little bit of money today because they might have to pay more taxes tomorrow, that goes away. So the whole thing has more effect. Um, a lot of people have encouraged helicopter money, but you have to get it right. The central bank has to let the public know that they're never going to have to pay that money back in taxes, and the government actually has to spend the money. It's fascinating to me, Mike, exactly what, what Kevin just said there, selling the public that you can spend it. Yeah. I don't, I personally, I don't buy it for a minute. I, Shapiro at University of Michigan is brilliant on this. Well, it's a, it's an ongoing issue for um, for the politicians who want to dodge the idea of, of adding fiscal stimulus into the economy. Uh, and the Fed's been doing it in a way. But the, you know, the, the Fed buying up all these treasuries doesn't mean um, that they're actually, uh, Kevin, going to necessarily ever uh, – you know, force the government to pay the full faith and credit. I mean, they could just sell them back, um, which, you know, in a way is, is at least a temporary form of helicopter money. Well, you need to look at the effectiveness of what you're doing and the costs. I agree that if the Fed temporarily absorbs some of the deficit, um, that reduces the need to tax the public or to take money away from the public in the form of uh, bond purchases. So to an extent, what the Fed is doing approaches helicopter money. But if you want the full effect, yeah. if you want as much stimulus as you can get, then you have to do the full package. You have to say the government spends and the Fed makes sure well, the public never pays the price for the spending. We're going to come back and talk about this. I mean, I, I, Kevin, I guess, how do you mandate helicopter money? Is it before Congress? Uh, Congress would need to be in on the deal. They need to agree to spend money. And you mentioned our paper. Our paper is uh, a response to an awful lot of interest there was in helicopter money. It was not a suggestion that it was actually going to happen, because in the United States, certainly, uh, we have a budget deal that extends past the election. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to happen okay. this year to change that. Kevin, let's come um, back. This is an important conversation. Kevin Harris with us, Bloomberg Surveillance. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Here's uh, Michael Barr with the latest news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Vice President Joe Biden says he is confident that Hillary Clinton will be the Democratic nominee and the next president of the U.S. Biden today on ABC's Good Morning America says Donald Trump should be taken seriously, but... The constant attack coming from the Republican side, the sort of vitriol that's pointed out, I don't think that's going to wear well over the next uh, several months. 
Bernie Sanders won yesterday's Democratic primary in West Virginia, but only netted five more delegates over Clinton. Donald Trump says he has narrowed his list of potential running mates to just five or six. Trump now, with a clear field, won Republican primaries in West Virginia and Nebraska. Experts say no matter who is elected to the White House in November, the next president will probably face a recession. The chief economist for North America at the conference board in New York says if the next president is not going to have a recession, it will be a U.S. record. The 83-month expansion is the fourth longest in more than 150 years. At least 45 people have been killed today in an attack in a mostly Shiite neighborhood in Baghdad. The Islamic State group is claiming responsibility. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Mike LeBar. Mike, Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Proximity Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's John Stasho. Thanks, Mike. Quiet night for the Mets. Bats managed just five singles. And when Trace Thompson hit a pinch hit home run, bottom of the ninth inning off Hansel Robles, the Dodgers won 3-2. to two. Yankees, meanwhile, suddenly scoring a bunch of runs. 10-7 over Kansas City, despite a patchwork lineup without Alex Rodriguez, Jacoby Ellsbury, and Mark Teixeira. Yanks able to overcome the heroics of the Royals' Lorenzo Cain, who homered three times. The Royals, the defending world champs, have lost 11 of 14, while the Yankees 4-1 and one on this homestand. The Spurs were 43-1 and one at home, but they've now lost two straight to Oklahoma City. The Thunder rallied late, one game five, 95-91, and they've had their first lead of the series. They go home up 3-2. to two. There were some late calls that seemed to go against San Antonio, but they also got out-rebounded by 18. LaMarcus Aldridge shot just 6 of 21. Steph Curry repeats his NBA MVP. He's the first to win it unanimously. Seventh time in eight years, the NHL's best regular season team will not win the Stanley Cup. Washington, after rallying from 3 nothing down to force overtime, lost 4-3 at Pittsburgh. The eighth time in nine series between the two where the Penguins have knocked out the Caps, who still have only twice been to the conference finals, never with Alex Ovechkin. So the East Finals will be Pittsburgh against Tampa Bay. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashower. John, that was a nice way to end that. I just thought that was very strong. Does this mean, Mike, there's hope for the Red Sox? If the Penguins win like this? I, the, the Red Sox have actually won World Series, yeah. which you can't say about the Capitals of the Stanley Cup. Yeah. What's interesting, folks, Mike Sullivan is the coach of the Penguins. He took over in an ugly moment, I believe, in January. Can he be coach of the year? Because he didn't coach for a year. <laughs> the, 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 the real question was in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, um, you know, the, the coach was out for the first half of the year. Yeah. Same and idea. he got credit for all the wins. Yeah. That's the way same. the rules are. That's the way the rules are. What futures negative three. Now futures negative 37. Michael McKee and Tom King coast to coast in Pittsburgh in San Francisco. The Sports Report brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. The spring sales event is happening now. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com. Land Rover above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Macy's is down almost 8%. It's down 7.8% this morning. The largest U.S. department store company cutting its profit forecast for the year and posted first quarter revenue that missed analyst estimates as slow mall traffic hurts sales. 
Two other stocks moving lower this morning. Staples, which is down more than 15 percent, and Office Depot, which is dropping 34 percent after a federal judge blocked the combination of the two largest office suppliers, saying it would create an unrivaled giant. European equities are lower this morning, falling for the first time in three days as earnings from banks cast a shadow over stock markets. And U.S. stock index futures are lower as well. S&P E-mini futures down two points. Dow E-mini futures down 36. And Nasdaq E-mini futures down two and a half. DAX in Germany is down six-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up two thirty-seconds. The yield 1.75 percent. NYMEX crude oil up a tenth of a percent or six cents to 44.73 a barrel. COMEX gold up 1.1 percent or $14.10. Cents at 1278.90 an ounce. The euro, $1.1410. The yen, 108.76. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thank you so much. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McCardle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Donald Trump recently floated the notion that the U.S. should borrow freely because you can always make creditors take a haircut if the economy crashes. I'm not going to explain why this is crazy because so many others already have, but it illustrates a big problem with his candidacy, the notion that Trump will be a good president because he's a good businessman. Unfortunately, the skills needed for one don't really translate very well to the other. Trump's basically imagining something like a structured negotiation under the threat of bankruptcy. It's a false analogy. Even if the biggest company operates in a world where there are lots of other sources of stability for troubled firms, banks that can lend, courts that can referee, governments that can step in with help. There are no external stabilizers for the federal government to fall back on because instability here would gut the very institutions like the IMF that we'd want to shore us up. So approaching our government debt using the lessons learned as CEO of an over-leveraged real estate operation wouldn't be canny business. It would be catastrophic. The list of such mistaken parallels goes on and on. You can't analogize national trade accounts to a firm's profit and loss statement. Don't treat nuclear-armed nations the way you would a vendor. There's no way to fire or demote congressmen as you might recalcitrant subordinates, which may be why the history of successful businessmen and national politics is actually pretty unimpressive. I'm Megan McCardle. For more View, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays. On Bloomberg Radio, we welcome all of you worldwide, coast to coast. Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130 New York, 99.1 FM Washington, Baltimore, 960 the Bay Area. All of you on Sirius and XM Channel 119. Kevin Harris with us, Director of Helicopter Money, Rubini Global Economics. We've been talking up a storm, Kevin. Great report. I'm thunderstruck by your chart, which shows all the benefit goes to the United States a little bit to Japan, and that's about where it ends. Why does helicopter money benefit the U.S. as compared to every other nation? You need to have um, an output gap that you can exploit. This is not in perpetuity. You can't get this sort of response to helicopter money every time you do it, only when you have a substantial output gap. The U.S. does. We believe Japan does. After that, you start running out of countries that have large output gaps and that also have the credibility to do this. Um, You'll notice that Greece should fare pretty well at the far end of the chart. Greece would get a pretty good lift from an increase in government consumption. And that's because their economy has been beaten down so far that they have a huge output gap. That's what you need. You need an economy that's running below potential by a substantial amount. Then you increase demand by government spending, 
You give an extra lift to set government spending by promising the public will never have to pay for it. And then you get this response. Most countries can't do that. Greece has uh, basically a, an output canyon um, yeah. ahead of them. Uh, you break down the, the, the list of countries by uh, GDP rather than political union. So um, you, you see some advantages to specific countries in the Eurozone. I just want to pass along uh, this, Tom. Um, the ECB governing council member from Austria, Ewald Novotny, said today that helicopter money is a fantasy debate that only creates fear, and it is yeah. not doable yeah. in the European Union. And I, I want to pick up on the creates fear part, uh, Kevin, because there's also talk among some within the central banking world that uh, negative interest rates do the same thing, that if you use these kinds of uh, extraordinary measures, it signals to people that there is something really wrong out there, and then they pull back from spending. If the public does not already realize that there's something wrong, then that risk might be substantial. If the public is already convinced that something is wrong, then showing them that you realize that as well probably won't change the outcome very much. You should you should understand that Mr. Nowotny is among the more conservative members of the ECB. He would be opposed to this on principle. Yeah. His analysis might be good, it might be bad, but his starting point is that aggressive policy action is probably not good. Um, that said, in some places, the European Union being a very good example, policy coordination is very hard. And policy coordination is absolutely necessary for the approach to helicopter money that we've described. Mm -hmm. You have to get lawmakers willing to spend right. and the central bank willing to finance at the same time in the same amount for the same reason. What run uh, rate is a, oh, excuse me. What, just because of time, what run rate of GDP would we need to see to affect the Washington debate to get this theory started? My answer is we're nowhere near there. No. Well, I don't think so. Um, the U.S. has an output gap that could be exploited, but the U.S. is also growing better than most of the developed world. Uh, the debate over fiscal policy is so deeply embedded uh, in the two parties that they have to be looking at huge electoral losses if they don't do something before the debate's likely to change much, I think. I am not a political analyst, but the, the record suggests this is not going to happen. Um, you, there is a, a view in science and in economic policy that the way you make policy progress is for the old guys to die. You have to let the old ideas simply go away and have a new generation that's not already married to the old ideas. Helicopter money is a new idea in practice, even though it's been around since 1969. When we get new politicians, we might get new policies, but the likelihood of getting new policies with the people we currently have is, is considerably uh, – it's, it's low enough that I wouldn't expect helicopter money in the United States. Uh, I wouldn't uh, expect it either. Um, and also, at this point, uh, we don't – most people don't have a, a, a short-term recession in their forecast, but there is a story out on Bloomberg Politics today that says the next president is going to face a recession. Uh, how soon do you see 
a downturn happening. And I ask that in the context of when it does, what's the Fed going to be able to do by that time? Um, forecasting recession is sort of a mugs game. Um, nobody ever gets it right. The idea that the next president will face a recession uh, is credible in the sense that the next president has to get through at least four years and with about 20% odds of a recession in any given year. That stacks up uh, over a four-year period. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's nothing specific that says that a recession has to happen at a particular time. Recent recessions have... um, been the result of financial shocks. Uh, there is a history of central bank error causing recession. Um, central banks around the world are currently doing everything they can to maintain growth. So a likely outcome is continued anemic growth rather than recession or rapid expansion. With central banks trying to engineer rapid expansion but failing, They're putting a floor under growth, but that's the best they can do. So on to the next part of the question, what ammunition does the Fed have if we do fall into recession? And there are, among policies they've already tried, there are two things they can do. Uh, They use forward guidance to say, we're not going to hike rates for a very long time, and they buy assets and expand their portfolio. Neither of those is as effective as cutting rates from, say, a 4% nominal level down to zero. That's a lot of juice for the economy. Promising not to hike rates when you're near Mm -hmm. zero does much less. We've got just 30 seconds left, Kevin. Paul on Twitter, absolutely disturbing conversation on helicopter money. Damn those savers living within their means. What portion of this discussion is about convincing people to spend money? All of it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's great, Kevin. Thank you. Really important conversation. Kevin Harris with us. Look for this at a podcast. That will be out at Apple iTunes here in a bit, and we'll get it out on social and all that. We've got a huge response to this conversation, Mike. Helicopter money is the last desperate act for the failed Keynesian economics. Another thought as well. you got to love that. Love your responses, folks. Pro, con, left, right, we don't care. We just need your love. It's Bloomberg Surveillance.